want us to ask us to take one minute of silence here. And I want you to think about who or what you may be angry with. Who or what you may be angry with. So, I'll start a timer. I have little kids, so trust me, I've got a timer ready to go at any moment. <laughs> Let's take one minute. Think about who or what you may be angry with. Okay. It's not necessarily an enjoyable exercise, and I'm sorry to start off class on such a heavy note, but it is important for what we're going to do today. If you are comfortable sharing, let me ask this yes or no question. Were any of you angry about losing some thing, a tangible thing? Losing yes. What? Kind of yes. Kind of yes? Was it the loss of the thing itself or the circumstances under which you lost the thing? Uh, both. Okay. Okay. It's not lost when you get it back. Willing, are, are you willing to elaborate yeah. a little bit? Sure. Let's hear it. So, uh, I'm doing work. Well, I wasn't doing work for this investor out of Colorado, but I got a call. The guy that he had come in, do all his work, didn't pull any permits. And so he asked if I could take over, and I was like, sure. So I went down there, they've got the whole house ready. They didn't pull any permits. So I went down to the city, and I was like, hey, you know, this house, I got to take it over. I want to pull all permits that we need to pull, do the inspections, all that stuff. Well, so they put me on as the GC. Well, they turned around and put holds on all the permits I have around town and stop work orders because I didn't pull permits on this house. And so they came out and slapped stop work orders on all my places that we have stuff going on. And I'm like, no, like I, it's not that I didn't pull permits. It's just somebody else, but since they did, so now I'm mad at the city. Yeah. Yeah. When we first moved to Corpus Christi, some of our stuff was stole, <laughs> stolen out of the bed of our truck. So we had a hotel. We'd, we'd got here late. It was like one or something in the morning. We got here late. Like literally, we drove, left Nashville 7 a.m., Pulled into our hotel parking lot, midnight. Yeah, because we hadn't, we didn't know how to do that trip. Now we know how to do it. We we roll out at 5 a.m. We're in Nashville at 10:30 p.m. Yeah, anyway. But we didn't know how to do it, so we had a hotel on SPID, and I was laying down in bed, and I thought, oh, I forgot to lock the tailgate. It's okay. There are lights and cameras. I'll be all right. 
and got up this, that morning and uh, saw some things missing. I was angry at the thieves. Who else do you think I was angry at? Myself. Why do you think I was angry at myself? I didn't get up. It was that simple. I didn't get up. I thought to lock the tailgate before I fell asleep, but I told myself, I reassured myself, oh, there's, I mean, there's lights in the parking lot. Nobody's going to, yeah. Am I right to be angry about this? You think I'm right to be angry at myself about that? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Reasonable. It's understandable. Here's what really made me angry, though. A little moment of transparency with you all. I try to be the kind of person to anticipate problems. Mike was really funny talking about how when an authority figure calls and says, Hey, are you in the office today? Or, you know, like, hey, you got some time to talk later today. Mike has been in ministry for a while, and you know, I'm I'm nearing six years in congregational ministry, and I have three elders in the room with me. <laughs> and as nice as these guys are, guys, you might think that Jack North is is it tough, but man, he's a teddy bear at heart. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, I'm sorry, I, I said that. Before this, I wasn't mad at anybody. <laughs> Before this, I wasn't mad at anybody. But even as, as well as I get along with our elders here at church, when I get a random text out of the blue or a phone call, I, I sit there for a moment and think, oh, okay, did I, did I share something inappropriate on Facebook? <laughs> Which for me, inappropriate might just be like it, not anything like, sexual or anything like that but like you know did i was i too harsh with somebody on on social media or did did i let somebody down like did i not call somebody anyway i try to anticipate problems i try to be observant of my surroundings and generally prepare well for what i'm expected to do and i have high expectations for myself and in all honesty i want to be seen as competent I want to be seen as competent. And with this particular situation, I knew, I knew, should have gotten out of bed. How easy, four minutes at the most, two to walk out to the parking lot, lock the tailgate, two to walk back in. I should have gotten out of bed, decided not to, and not just me, but my family paid for it as well. Let me ask this question. In what setting, in what setting do we first learn to understand and process and express emotion? In what setting do we first learn to understand, process, and express emotion? Family. Family. When you're a child, yeah, definitely. Your family of origin. However, your parents and siblings and whoever else you might have been close to, however your parents and your siblings processed and expressed their emotions, whether you like it or not, for good or bad, that was how you learned to process and express your emotions. Or, 
Maybe that was what you learned not to do. <laughs> Maybe that is what you learned not to do. Uh, have you found this to be true in your family? Do you look at yourself as an adult and think back to your parents or grandparents and think, oh man, I am my dad. <laughs> Seeing some head nods, yeah? Michael? Um, in the household I grew up in, my mom and dad, when they started um, getting angry with each other, you know, they would start yelling. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yelling. Sure. Like, yeah. You could be outside and hear it yelling, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but I also knew they loved each other. Yeah. And you can see that. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, as far as processing emotions and things like that, one of the things that that did for me was uh, one, I became, I learned I became a stutter, so I would take emotions and push them down. Yeah. But the other part, of the, the other part of that, that was a positive, is when Vicky and I started, we were engaged and we were getting, you know, we were getting married. We shared these stories about mm -hmm. our parents and about what we, things we wanted to, you know, be conscious of. Yeah. And for the most part, we, Vicki and I don't fight in front of children. We don't yell at each other. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to have a conversation, we're going to have a conversation. And if we need to, you know, we'll go somewhere else. You can pause it or take it elsewhere. Yeah. 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 But we just, it's not to say that we never have. We sure. certainly have, but it's that conscious thought process of going, I know what it was like to be a kid with parents that yelled at each other yeah. a lot. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. Yeah. I remember how my dad was with me and my brothers. And I see myself being pulled to be the same way with my boys. Yeah. My dad had a temper. You, you probably can't tell now whenever he comes and visits. He had a severe stroke 10 plus years ago. And so that's, you know, my dad who is super chill. He, he was visiting last week. He's super chill these days and very soft-spoken. Yeah, it, a lot has happened. But before then, yeah, it had a temper and it came out when we were doing stupid stuff, right? Because <laughs> we were boys, okay? Like we, we all kind of get that. It, we, it wasn't just like there was a sock on the floor and it sent him off. That was not at all what it was. It was, I knew better than to throw a baseball at the window, but guess what I did? <laughs> that baseball isn't going to stick. Stuff like that. Stuff like that. Mine also comes out when my boys aren't thinking they do something dumb or careless, especially after I've told them not to do it. We've given a, just a few examples here, but I think we can begin to see that maybe, in some ways at least, we can't help but be influenced to follow in those footsteps or to turn away from that path. Let me ask this. Have you ever found yourself angry for no apparent reason? Or... Perhaps more angry than you should be for something relatively minor and ever stopped and thought, 
why am I angry? Anybody willing to share? Yeah. Yeah. Don, uh, Don rolled through these quickly, but this is something good that for the sake of the recording I want to repeat because I think you mentioned this either last week or the week before that. Um, the acronym HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, are usually pretty big triggers for a lot of folks to behave in ways that after further reflection, they would look back and think, wow, man, I really, I really blew it with that one. Anybody ever uh, found themselves angry for no apparent reason and stopped, had enough of self-awareness to stop and think, why, why am I angry? Why, like, why am I ready to just unload on somebody and it doesn't make any sense? We're at Target a couple weeks ago. You you said fine. <laughs> that's the key. Like, that's the key right there. You said. <laughs> well, I haven't eaten today. She's like, all right, everybody, let's let's go go get dad something to eat. And we'll come back. And we left Target because I guess I was not being nice to anybody. <laughs> so, uh, she's like, all right, let's just go. We'll go eat and then we'll come back. And I was like, what? She's like, you're just you're not you when you haven't had Snickers. So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Hungry. She took me and bed me and brought me back. We were there you go. Chances are, and a lot of this, if you haven't already figured out, a lot of this is autobiographical for me. Of all the things that we've looked at so far, this class, the emotions we've looked at, hurt, lonely, sad, now we're looking at anger. We'll look at fear, shame, guilt, and glad gladness later out of all of these this is the one where I was teaching to myself the most and you might not be able to tell it because would any just based on what y'all know about me would any of y'all have guessed that I have a bad temper what (laughs) I have that general look about me (laughs) that lean angry look it's embarrassing, and that's why I'm embarrassed about it. And I have actually had counseling for it, and that hurt. But we were at a point where it was, it was that or, or something much worse. I was willing to do the hard thing and look at myself and look at the trajectory that I was on and step enough into the darkness to see where I was, could go, and to say, I absolutely don't want to get anywhere near that. It might also not be surprising to know that in the first week of March my, of 2020, my wife's identity was stolen. And uh, those poor thieves, they tried to take out $499,000 of our account. Good thing for them, we only had $498,000. <laughs> but they filed for unemployment. 
And Linnea told them, told uh, the, we were living in Kentucky at the time, Linnea told them at the Capitol, like, nope, shut that down. That's not us. And then guess what happens literally the next week? COVID. Linnea gets put on furlough from work. She can't work. Guess what she needs to do, but there's literally nobody in the government offices for us to file for unemployment. Yeah. And I'm sitting here being paid some because I was working part-time at the church we were at. We were living in the church parsonage. And there was one day where I just sat down crying. It's like, God, please don't let this be the end of us. Don't let us be ruined. This is, this is terrible. And I was feeling all that stress and then finally called a professor of counseling where I had gone to school. I had had a class with him, the basic counseling skills class that guys like Mark and I had for our Masters of Divinity. And did several sessions with him and read the book that he recommended and learned how to maybe adjust my thinking so as not to go down that path. But chances are, if you have found yourself in that situation where I have found myself, you may be experiencing, if you're in this moment, we're just at a red light and for whatever reason, you're like, man, what? I'm just, I'm just ready to lay into somebody. What is the deal? This doesn't make any sense. And if this doesn't make sense to you, praise God for that because maybe you haven't experienced that. But chances are you're experiencing feelings similar to those maybe at some point you felt in the past. Feelings probably stemming from some unresolved issue or situation, some mistake, maybe sometime when you felt powerless and that situation or that person exposed your weakness or incompetence or ignorance or vulnerability or whatever it was and what you face in that moment when you stop and think, why, why am I so angry? I just don't what is the deal? Maybe what you're facing is some of that trying to get up to the surface so you can deal with it and heal from it. All of that might sound stereotypical, but if the nods that I have seen in the class in the last 30 seconds are any indication Chances are that's probably very real for some of us. So, let me ask the question, what makes you angry? What are you willing to share? What makes you angry? When do you get angry? Like really angry, not like, Man, this guy sat for two seconds longer at the green light than he should have. <laughs> what actually makes you angry? Anybody willing to share? Know-it-alls. Know-it-alls. Yeah. I mean, learning what makes you really, really angry, if you haven't thought about it, it takes a little while. So, mm -hmm. you know, you know I'm, I'm in a 12-step program as well. I'm an alcoholic. And... Um, one of the things that we practice on a daily basis is sharing. Yeah. We don't just do that because 
we want to be touchy feely. Yeah. We do that because by sharing, we're we're helping process our our own thoughts, but we're also talking to other people who then may be able to help help us process our thoughts. Yeah. Whenever I first started drinking heavily, it was a result of anger. Okay. And it was anger at going through a divorce. Yeah. And I felt like a failure. So now I didn't know all that. Sure. Back then, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, uh, going through the experience of being rejected, yeah. which is what it feels like when you go through a divorce, um, you know, felt like failure to me. It made me very angry. I had never failed anything in my life. Yeah. You know, I had been a straight A student. I went to the Air Force Academy. I was a college athlete. I was in charge. Yeah. I was in control of my life. Well, come to learn, which so you as thought. Christians, hopefully <laughs> all of us come to learn, we are not in control of anything, yeah. especially other people. And that's what made me more angry than anything else was learning that I could not control my situation and, and the outcomes that were going to be a result of it. Yeah. Now, the original way I responded to that was to drink. Mm-hmm. And I responded in some other ways, un- other unhealthy ways as well, yeah. but that was the primary one uh, that allowed me to do lots of other things that you know I normally wouldn't have done. Sure. So, um, I mean, if you haven't thought about these things, it, it I mean, it, it's not easy. I mean, it was very emotional. It's emotional for me just talking about it now because you realize how easy it is for you to to be vulnerable. Yeah. But that's why it's so important. What Mike brought up earlier. Um, is that, you know, if we're going to share things with each other, we need to learn to talk to each other about things. Yeah. Because um, I guarantee you there's people that have, in this room probably, or, or you know, other acquaintances that have been through the exact same things, you know, whether it be divorce or just difficult relationship or whatever, and it makes you feel like a failure. It makes, and, and then that turns into anger. Well, man, that just feeds the beast. Yeah. Now you're just laying on, and um, if you don't recognize how to interrupt that, then you know you're going to do one of two things: either you're going to go on to destroy the relationship, or you're going to do something to destroy yourself. Yeah. So often, both are what happen. I I appreciate your willingness to share. That is that is part of the reason why I wanted us to do this class is so that the men in the congregation could see, not, not perfectly, right? But that we could see that, okay, these guys don't all just have it together, but here they are doing the next faithful thing. And I've said, if I've said that once, I've said it a thousand times in the year and a half I've been here, just do the next faithful thing. I get angry when my children don't heed my instructions or when I feel, see if these ring a bell to anybody, attacked, unloved, embarrassed, shown to be incompetent, or maybe not all that that you thought you were. 
Here's an easy question. Did God ever get angry? <laughs> Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Book of Exodus chapter 34 will be in verse 6. I did a word search for anger in the Bible. <laughs> and there's a lot of times when, especially in the Old Testament, where the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, <laughs> or this or that or whatever. <clears throat> Exodus 34, starting in verse 6. This passage of Scripture that we're about to read is the most quoted, referenced, or alluded to passage in the entire Old Testament. There are scores of times and instances where passages in the Old Testament will refer to a verse or an idea or a thought out of this passage right here. And so, God is with Moses, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that word, steadfast love, is really fascinating. It means something like covenant loyalty, something like allegiance. And with as many veterans as we have in here, I don't need to go into any detail about the importance of loyalty and allegiance and fidelity. Verse 7, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, some people get kind of squirmy at that last part there. It's like, what do, you, what do you mean, God? Wouldn't you just punish the guilty parties? Well, in tribal societies where you have multiple generations living together, about how many generations could you expect to find living in the same area of the same related family? Three or four, pretty easily, maybe five. The point is, there is a limit to the punishment, though. But look at the limit that God gives for the steadfast love. Not just to the third or fourth generation, but to the thousandth generation. Most importantly, though, take a look here at verse 6. How fast does God get angry? It's, no, slowly. Maybe another idea we could use to describe this is deliberately. God doesn't just fly off the handle. You ever known anybody or worked with anybody that just flew off the handle? For, <laughs> had a big, yeah, right over here, in fact, there. Yeah, yeah. Anybody just flew off the handle at the, at the smallest thing? God, that is not God. But goodness, doesn't it feel like that's God sometimes? Very appropriate that Mike would say everything that he said this morning about fear and anger. What is the difference? What is different about God's anger than our anger? 
What do you think is different? God's anger and our anger. Just. It's just. It's reasonable. It's, it's, reasonable. it's pure. Yeah. It's not because you embarrassed God. It's not because you pointed out his incompetence <laughs> or anything like that. God's anger is always pure and justified. And it's justified because it is for the right reason. So let's take a look at a couple of other examples. Stay in Exodus, turn back two chapters, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Turn with me to verse 15. Exodus 32, verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain carrying the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, uh, tablets that were written on both sides. Did y'all know Moses was pretty, uh, pretty far ahead of his time? He was the first person to download uh, things from the cloud onto his tablets. All right. Just want to make sure everybody's paying attention, okay? Yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, you know what uh, separates a dad joke from another joke? When it becomes apparent. Or I say, Craig, I appreciate that. That felt like more than a courtesy laugh. I got you on that one. All right. Verse 16. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved upon the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, Moses said, It's not the sound made by victors or the sound made by losers. It is the sound of revelers, partiers, I hear. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to a powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. What Besides, beyond just what the text tells us here, okay, beyond just what the text tells us, why is Moses angry? What is he really upset about? Unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness implies at least two parties. Gavin, who are the two parties here? The Israelites and God. The Israelites and God. It is their unfaithfulness, their covenant, their covenant disloyalty. Their infidelity. Yeah. Let's take a look as at another. Leader, Go ahead. As the leader of the people. Yeah. I cannot imagine that he didn't feel failure. Yeah. He is the person who is the go-between between God and the people. Yeah. And now they've turned their, turned their back, not just on God, but on him. And Eve, even Moses kind of wanted his brother Aaron to help him out here, right? And if you read the rest of the story, Aaron, Aaron's excuse is the, one of the most pitiful things you will ever see in Scripture. Well, God, the, how did this calf get here? Uh, God, well, we gathered up the gold and, and we threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. Aaron, you sound like a seven-year-old explaining how, how this window got broken. It was a, a bird that flew in. Yeah, okay. Turn with me. As, sorry, Michael. I think it also goes back to that Paul, you know. Hungry, hungry angry, lonely, tired. Because yeah. remember, he's been on the mountain for 40 days. Yeah. 
Very so much so. He comes down, and there's also a physiological response to this. Yeah. Um, that you know that's going through here, and he's like, I have, I have personally sacrificed for you. Yeah. I have been on the mountain for forty days, and you're gonna do this. So yeah. There is. I think there is some element of ego there. I remember. Could be. Uh, I remember talking with a good friend of mine who's a preacher. And we were having a very frank conversation, although his name isn't Frank. Um, and they, uh, we were talking about it, and he said, well, to be a preacher, he goes, there's at some points where you have to be selfless, but at the same time, you have to have an ego. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, you have to, you have, to have enough of an ego to go, these people are here to listen to me, and they come back every week to do it. Yeah. So I get it's it. like that, that. That's kind of this weird juxtaposition. So we can see where Moses has been trying to lead these people. Yeah. He's made these sacrifices, and this is he views it as a personal betrayal. Yeah. I mean, I assume he also views it absolutely as a betrayal to God, but he yeah. views it as a personal betrayal. Yeah. If I'm going to presume to be the one to stand up here and teach a class like this, I better bring something worthwhile. Mm -hmm. All right, you all know this story, so we don't have to go turn to it. Besides what the text tells you, what, what really ticked Jesus off about the money changers in the temple? What was he really upset about at the core? He was, he was just disregarding the temple as a holy place. They were disregarding the temple as a holy place. What could people not do easily because of these... Money changers and sellers in there. They couldn't worship. They couldn't worship. Couldn't worship. The sacrifices. That yeah. Were. So in uh, in Exodus thirty two, what we saw was how disrespect is a good way to put it. Yeah, they dishonored God. In Exodus thirty two, what we saw was a, a a break in relationship. What we see in Jesus clear clearing out the temple is an inability to get to God. And sometimes a physical inability because there's so many people there. An inability to physically get to God. Turn with me for the last text that we're going to look at this morning. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Start in verse 6. I know we are at time, so we are going to roll through here. I think y'all are starting to see where we're going with this, though. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul starts off his letter. And uh, in no uncertain terms, he lets the Galatians know where he's headed. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we said before, so now I repeat... If anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Besides what the text tells us, beyond the obvious here, what is Paul really angry about? Turning away from the gospel. They're turning away from the gospel. Somebody is perverting the gospel. Somebody is teaching them a non-gospel, a false gospel. Isn't that essentially similar to why Moses was angry with the people and why Jesus cleared out the guys in the temple? You are ruining 
you are corrupting these people's access to God. You are breaking this relationship in some way. Sometimes we call that righteous indignation. And as long as it is truly righteous and not self-righteous indignation, which is a little different, maybe that is a good thing. Quickly. He mentioned ego. Ego is a double-edged sword. Yeah. No ego, you just get trampled all over. Can be. You're not you're worthless. Too much ego, you're the, I'm the one, I know it all. Yeah. All right, because we're five minutes over, I'll just wrap up with some of these last points here. In all the texts above, if we, read, if we learn to read them like this, we can maybe read between the lines a little bit. When we see texts like in the Old Testament where it says things like, and God's anger was kindled against the Israelites, or Moses' anger burned hot, or whoever else, what that anger shows us is not just that these guys can get angry. It doesn't just show us that it is okay to get angry, because it is. It is okay. It also shows us what truly mattered to God, Moses, Jesus, Paul, and anybody else in the Bible who has gotten angry about something. It's a way to see what truly mattered and what Jesus felt was worth getting angry about was that people could not come and worship the Father the way that the Father had said to come and worship. And so, something I want you to do this week is if in a moment of anger you have enough self-awareness to stop and think, okay, I'm upset about this. What does my anger tell me? What do, what do I value here? Do I value the things that God valued? Or do I value my own reputation? My own image? My own stuff? Do I value the things of God? Or do I value my own things? Guys, appreciate y'all. We'll see you next week.